Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. everybody. Welcome to the LarkCast. My name is Jameson and I'm not usually on here, but I get to be on here with Russ today and we're going to talk about the resurrection. Russ, welcome to the LarkCast. <laughs> That's awesome. I was just over across the state with my family for Easter weekend. Uh, we stayed in Jupiter uh, Beach and um Long and short, hanging out with uh, Tolian and Stacy, some friends of ours, friends of Lark. Pretty neat little church family over there, man. That's gathered called the Sanctuary. And the family that hosted us is a guy who's basically the brainchild behind a lot of what we know as radio of the last 30 years. And just talking to him on the phone, man, like the minute he says hello, it's like this like baritone like perfect voice you know what i mean that has like the inflection in it man and like before he even told me what he did for a living i was like this dude has got to find a gig on the radio and then come to find <laughs> out that's literally what he does for a living and also a announcer for major league baseball and i was like dude perfect that perfect. is perfect yeah it was pretty pretty voice pretty of a sage yeah yeah, to have a profile where your voice is recognized as, yeah, he's the guy that's always on the commercials. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> that, that was him, man. So him and his wife, they took off for the weekend and pretty hospital, man. They gave us their, their home to stay in and we swam in the pool and relaxed and celebrated, dude, the resurrection and had some pretty neat aha moments and yep, ate till we couldn't walk. You know all the all the good things all the good things right man that's awesome i'm downtown fort worth right now in texas and uh my family and i since we're full-time in the camper we uh we've been actually finding some spots to stay that aren't your typical campground mm. um there's this thing called boondockers welcome it's just a membership where you can go and park in somebody's pasture or backyard or whatever they have and we've done two texas ranches in a row and right now i kid you not we are in a spot where when i walk out the front door of my camper i i feel like i'm looking at a picture it's like a painting because the the ground is just slowly moving upward toward the horizon there's trees everywhere and an oak but there's an open field in front with a couple giant oak trees <laughs> it's just <laughs> absolutely picturesque and uh, we, we did an Easter for the first time ever by ourselves in the middle of nowhere in a camper. <laughs> Bro, that sounds, uh, that sounds pretty epic, man. I ain't going to lie. I know for some personality types, uh, that could be a little challenging. But I can, I can, I can definitely picture what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, I could get down with that. It was not bad. Well, cheers to that, dude. And cheers to this conversation. That's right. And cheers to giving Tony a break. That's right. Cheers, yeah. Tony. Yeah, man. 
he does a fantastic job on here. So for those of you who are listening in and wondering, Hey, where's, where's, uh, where's Tony at? Tony is, uh, taking a, taking a week off, man, relaxing with his feet up. I hope we should just give him the real reason, Russ. Um, oh, all right. Guys, Tony shaved his beard mm. and I have a beard. And so, you know, on the Lark team, it's, it's in the fine print. Um, I don't think Tony realized it, even though he put it there, I found it and well, I've got the beard right now. So, um, Russ, Russ has the short stubble beard, Yeah, but sorry, Tony, maybe next week. I know your beard grows in about four days, so you'll be good. I liked how you did that little, like Christian-esque, like slide in there. Church staff lingo <laughs> found that clause that nobody <laughs> else saw like, Oh, sorry, dude. Not going to get to speak this week guess i'll have to fill in <laughs> so a couple kind of announcements things along the way we're really excited about as you might have seen on instagram uh russ tony and i got to spend a couple of days in jackson mississippi with c baxter kruger who's a theologian that we have been learning a lot from and he agreed to sit down with us and have a conversation yeah. and all i can tell you right now is that you're going to want to hear that conversation. Um, we recorded it and we had hours upon hours in addition to what was on camera and all of us left feeling all kinds of <laughs> sensations of like, my mind is melting. I feel at rest because there's so much good news that just got thrown at me, but also we just hung out yeah, with man. someone that wanted to eat food and laugh and fart and just have have a great time with no strings attached i didn't at one point ever feel pressure <laughs> you know that was just a good time uh, to be hosted that way yeah, yeah man when anytime you get to hang out and just be you with someone who really gets good news it's always an, an encouraging time and when you get to throw on top of that hearing the depths of things and scriptures that, that you haven't even begun to even comprehend much less right like scratch the surface to hear those things expounded upon was yeah mind bending man would be a, a very nice way of putting it so but yep. yeah thankful grateful and definitely excited for taking some of these pieces and putting it out here in the near future so for all of you listeners be on the lookout because some uh, pretty in-depth looks at some pretty radical news about god's reckless grace is coming your way yeah, man, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I just want to throw this out there too. Um, we've got this weekend, Russ and I are going to Georgia. Um, we're going to meet in Savannah. We got an event there on Friday night. If you're in the area, come see us. Um, we're also heading to just north of Atlanta in Woodstock. We're going to Reformation Brewery and we are going to have a good time there too. Uh, yeah, sharing good news and meeting people and, and just hearing some stories and seeing where that goes. And then we're heading to Greenville, South Carolina, and we're going to run a little interview uh, with someone whose testimony is so good. Um, and again, we just can't wait to share all of this stuff with you, what we learn along the way. Yeah, man. Okay. So where are we going? The topic today is resurrection. I think after text messaging and even being on phone calls, uh, Russ, you could probably speak to this too, just in your experience of the weekend. Easter weekend is interesting. Um, hmm. 
as I was walking through it, being in the middle of nowhere and actually not going to a church service, um, probably the second time ever in my whole life that I wasn't in church on Easter, I had a whole lot of conflicting thoughts and feelings and emotions, um, but a lot of them revolved around this idea of resurrection, this thing that we're talking about and proclaiming and that's in the Bible and has been celebrated by the church for centuries and you just can't encapsulate it. Um, and one of the main thoughts that hit me, which I think can really launch us into this conversation, Russ, is the ancient church built a liturgy, meaning they built this annual cycle of which parts of the gospel they celebrated when. So they would always hit every part of it, and it would always recenter you in the person of Jesus. Well, Easter... I didn't realize this until probably four or five years ago. Easter is not a day. Easter is not a Sunday. Easter is actually a mirror of Lent. So Lent is 40 days, and then Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, and then that opens up Easter Tide, which is a whole 40-day season of celebrating resurrection. <laughs> yes. I remember when I realized that, I was like, where's that been all my life in the church? <laughs> Why aren't we celebrating the resurrection that way um why does it only get this one sermon that we turn into like hey it's our evangelism sunday um come bring your friends to this one because we're going to talk about the resurrection um anyway that that was kind of took me by surprise when i learned that and this weekend just talking with you guys about it i was like man the resurrection is so much bigger than we give it credit for so yeah it's like <laughs> sorry i'm like on one hand i'm like laughing i feel like i'm also crying inside you know there's like a, there's like a joy to that statement and there's like oh so true but it's yeah i mean the death and resurrection of jesus i mean this is this is the news of the god who became flesh and dwelt among us and like literally brings our death into his death, makes his resurrection our resurrection. So that this whole talk of freedom and the rest and the adventure, right? That Jesus promises this very life, the substance of our, of our being, the breath we take our everything is true, right? Like this freedom, the rest, the adventure. It's not like this thing out there that maybe we can ascribe to, or maybe we can achieve one day. Maybe we can accomplish. It's like, no, this is reality that we've been brought into because of his death and resurrection, man. So, yeah, dude, I have to say, I'm going to have to align myself with the, with the ancient church that decided to, maybe, maybe we should go with 40 days on this thing instead of one Sunday. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and for me, that was like a big aha, because even just like, you know, on, on Easter Sunday, man, like what we call Easter Sunday, I, I found myself like rejoicing in things, but then just thinking of like 50 more things that I wanted to get out to the world about this. And then to hear like, oh, that's actually pretty normal from the ancient church. It didn't end, you know, with, you know, what some people call like the Super Bowl, right? Christian holidays. So in which case I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's it. But anyways, I could go on and on, man. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers to that news. Cheers for sure. I think when, when you just say the word resurrection, what does that trigger in your mind, right? And for me, 
how complacent that word feels. Um, mm. It doesn't necessarily conjure up excitement in me or, or anything. I'm almost like, who was it? Uh, Mary, when Jesus came because Lazarus had died, she's like, yeah, I know, like, you're gonna, we'll all be raised in the last day. <laughs> I'm like, right. how does she have such a, like, I kind of feel the same way. Like, we're just like, kind of resolved that maybe it's all going to be okay someday. Um, but I guess when, when you're encountering the word resurrection yet again, in kind of this annual sense, Russ, like what, right. what is it for you? That's, What's being triggered? What's being set off in your heart? What's exploding? Like, as you think about that word mm. afresh? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, the thing I think that was, it was really jarring for me yesterday. Um, not yesterday, but anyhow, back, you know, Easter Sunday, a couple of days ago is, uh, I found myself just really sitting and thinking, and then eventually in a conversation with Tullian, who was talking about this, that just Easter is, Easter is the most non-religious holiday. As alarming and as odd and as, you know, even scandalous as that sounds, it's true. Easter, if we really take to heart the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that news is, points to a non 100% non-religious holiday. And I just found myself really thinking about that, man. Like, gosh, it's, it's so true, you know, because religion at its core isn't about God at all. Religion, you know, by definition, is all about me. It's all about my discipline, my obedience, my faithfulness, my sacrifice, my improvement, my commitment, and so on which, you know, it sort of makes sense, like why religion is bad for you. It's bad for me because it just, when you think about it, it just breeds narcissism. And I think that's something that really was eye-opening to me because I can see that in my own life play out over the years, but also in the lives of other people and maybe even point to why words like death and resurrection just sort of roll off our back, you know, you know, like water off a duck's back, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really stick the way it used to. And you know, narcissism, right? Religion, it, it constantly pushes you to think of yourself. Am I trusting enough? Am I praying enough? Am I learning enough? Am I serving enough? Am I giving enough? You know, it's, and when I, when I started thinking about that, and, and like I said, in this conversation with Tully and just really diving into like even the word narcissism and its connection to religion and it's, and that connection to sometimes our disconnect with what Easter really is about you start to realize that this word narcissism and the concept behind it, dude, it's been trending for, for the past few years um, pretty significantly. I mean, everybody today is calling everybody a narcissist. There's countless books and articles that are coming out on the narcissistic disorder. And as I was thinking about that, you know, over the last couple of days, I'm like, you know, as, as apt as like, you know, all of these, you know, analysis that I've read may be, you eventually start to see that narcissism really is nothing but a new word for an old idea. It's just a new word for an old idea, namely this thing that we call the doctrine of original sin. I mean, 
Like, what's more narcissistic than Adam and Eve listening to the lie of the serpent in the Garden of Eden and thinking, yeah, that sounds good. Independence. I can be like God. You can be like God. Let's be like God. We can have the control and achieve the destiny that we desire, the one that we deserve. <laughs> right. Like, and when we laugh about that, is you find yourself going, oh, man, that spirit of self-reliance that you see in the person of Adam and Eve, right? That's the same spirit of self-reliance that's in me. That's the same spirit of self-reliance that's in every single human being that's ever lived. So eventually you start to realize like, dude, there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? There's, there's narcissists who know they're narcissists and there's narcissists who don't know they're narcissists, but right. there's no such thing as a non-narcissist. I think, which made me think like, oh, so this is why religion easily feeds into our natural default mode of narcissism. It's why religion is so enticing and so effective, right? Because everywhere we look, we find this constant need to look at ourselves, think about ourselves, care for ourselves, right? In other words, everything is about becoming the self we desire and deserve. And no matter how much we dress it up, we wind up with this religious pursuit and practice that is about one thing, the self. <laughs> so, you know, when I, when I start to think about that, man, I start thinking about like the pain that that has brought about in my own life. When I start thinking about the pain that I've caused because of that, when I start thinking about the pain that I've endured because of that and going, oh yeah, that that spirit of self-reliance, that original sin, that narcissism. Yeah, dude, it's in all of our veins. It's why the scriptures are so plain. Like there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. I've said that dude and taught that for years and years. And for some reason this past Sunday, man, I felt like I just had a kind of like a fresh perspective on it, or I don't know, look at it. Maybe it just hit me in a way that hasn't hit me in a long time. You know, when I started thinking about like, yeah, Romans, you know, three, it's for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This Adam and Eve story is our story. It's everyone's story. And when you take all that into perspective, man, you're going, dude, Jesus wasn't kidding. The law of God is good and beautiful. It will forever point us to to the harmony that we long for. It will always point us to what is right, what is true, what is good. But we can never achieve it. We never have, we never will. All the religious practices and solutions and canned recipes I've come up with over the years and read and studied and found and applied all in the name of Jesus and grace. None of them dude have ever led to my ability to actually walk perfectly in what is true. And ultimately, every one of those pursuits is about me. They're always about me. And I'm just sitting there going, dude, this isn't going anywhere, which means the news of God's death for my death and his resurrection for my resurrection so that I can be brought back into the life I was made for is not only the best damn news this world will ever hear. It's the only good news we will ever know. And and it is not religious at all. 
It is 110% about what Jesus has done. It is not even 1% about what we do, which means Easter is a non-religious holiday, man, Hmm. at its entire at its entire core, man. Like it's, I don't know. That just, it just hit me like in such a, just such like a refreshing kind of like life-giving way. Um, hmm. This past Sunday, man, I get, I get a little, I get a little amped when I just, when I, when I start feeling your, your uh, body temperature rising here. I love this. <laughs> it is. I, mean, like, I, I didn't plan on getting that excited about it. I'm sorry. I just, no way, man. That's uh, the best. I think you're spot on. And just like I said earlier, just the word resurrection. Like when you bring that up, you are talking about something that is, I think how we've said it before, it's either the best news the world will ever hear, or it is completely insane and makes no sense. Right. And here's for me, what stands out. We were created. That's what we believe, right? The Christian uh, perspective is that we were made by God, (laughs) that we came from nothing by the hand of God. And the resurrection is proof that whatever it means for us to come into the life that God has for us, it it's we have as much to do with it as our creation. Mm, okay, yeah. so I was listening to a, a the, one of my favorite theologians recently talking about the resurrection, and he was making this point that he's like, it's it's not a, what we're saying is not that Jesus was like mostly dead or just dead for a while or like because he was Jesus, he couldn't stay dead. No, we're saying that the same level of a thing happened as creation. Like when he's Mm. raised from the dead, he's called the new creation, right? Um, And which we get to partake in and he applies to us. We're talking about something that it's like nothing else we've ever done or experienced in, in, in our lives or in the history of the world we were brought into existence as the joyful expression of God. He's like, I'm going to create you and I'm going to include you in my life. The crucifixion was the proof that there's nowhere he wouldn't go in order to make that true, in order to include us in his life. The resurrection is the absolute death nail in anything we've ever thought we contribute to this mess. Mm. Uh, He's like, no, the only thing, and I think Capon says this, the only thing you can bring to this table is your death. It's your yep. dead body. That's it. Resurrection, yep. that's something that only one person can do. And that's Jesus. <laughs> and he has been raised to new life. And that is a confession of faith. That can't ever be anything else. And so here's where like, and I don't know if you want to, to run with this, Russ, but... One of the things Mm. I get, I guess, flustered about when I hear Christians specifically talk about the resurrection is like preachers and pastors want to move into almost a lot of them will move into like an apologetics sermon on that Sunday of why the resurrection happened and proving it, even if Mm -hmm. it's proving it loosely and still focusing on the proclamation of it. Um, But to me, something's off there. I don't think that the 
I don't think that the Bible asked us or God or the church or even the world necessarily is, is wondering how we're going to prove that this is true. Okay. Yep. Like we don't, we don't need to have proofs and logics and all that stuff. The resurrection is something entirely different, but when you come to a, an experience where there's, there's someone speaking or doing what we call preaching, and they're telling you all of these reasons to believe the resurrection is true. I'm starting to realize, I think they might actually be pointing us in the opposite direction of believing that the resurrection is true <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's by faith that we behold Jesus yep. and the resurrection, man, it's, it's unlike anything else anyone has ever proclaimed and we're staking yep. everything on it, right? If that's true, and if every, like how the scriptures in the New, Te New Testament, they talk about Christ is in you. Yep. <laughs> he's in you. Well, he's raised to new life. He is the firstborn of the new creation. Yep. And he's in you. To me, that, that puts so much hope and fresh air in my lungs because I'm sitting here thinking, that means it's like, it has nothing to do with my ability to explain it, to articulate it to prove it, to even imagine it. Like mm -hmm. the resurrection is, is the, one of the, it's, it's part of the centerpiece of the gospel, which is Jesus, because it's, it's outlandish. It, we, we had nothing to do with it. Dude, I, I really, really love that because for a couple of reasons, you know, like, like some pastors, and I've done this in the past, you can spend an Easter Sunday you know, with, with, you know, an apologetic sermon pointing to the Roman literature that points to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can point to the documents inside and outside the scriptures that point to the hundreds of witnesses that saw him. You can point to like, yes, lots of people are martyrs. Lots of people lay down their lives willingly for what they know is true. But people don't willingly lay down their life for what they know is a lie. And every one of the disciples all willingly went to their grave stating Jesus's death and resurrection, right? And you, again, you can point to this inside and outside the scriptures. So you can come at this from that logical apologetic, you know what I mean? And which to me is, can be a beautiful thing. However, that said, the one thing I have learned over the years is there is something in us that has this sort of desire self-included it's like we almost want a, a christianity where number one there's no death in it we don't have to die we don't have to admit our death our brokenness okay our sin of you know our our giving god the finger and doing it our way that spirit of self-reliance that we've all run and that's what the bible describes as sin we don't like to admit that that death um so we almost kind of like want a christianity with vision statements that were <laughs> No, no, you dying to yourself in it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've learned over the years is we also sometimes want a Christianity that requires no faith. Wow. I want religion at the end of the day. I want to be able to point to what it is that I'm doing and not doing and where I stand in the process so that I can point to what I'm hoping to get or not get right from God as a result. And even maybe even something that I can hold over his head if it doesn't you know, come through for me anything but a life of faith, right? I want sight. I want to be able to, I want to put my faith in what I can see, what I can touch, what I can control, 
Again, right back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve's desire, same as mine. But yet the most life-giving, life-altering, joy-giving thing is a life of faith, a life of learning to trust in the God who's always been with you, right? Which ties me into another point that you made early on and what you were sharing. Like, what did you have to do with your, with your coming into the world, right? What, what did you have to do with your creation? What did you have to do with the creation of the world? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What did you have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Absolutely nothing. And if you want to even take it further, man, which takes you down a whole other rabbit hole is, how about the ascension? How about Jesus looking at a group of misfits who still don't get it and going, it's okay. You'll be witnesses of what is good and true and beautiful because it's already good and true and beautiful. And none of it's dependent on you. I'll be with you. Don't worry. And disappears. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just so many things, right. That tie into our lives with God today and forever because of Jesus's death for our death. And the fact that God has made Jesus's resurrection, our resurrection, which is why the scriptures do not point to him in John one as a life or in, right. Or what is it in John 14 as a truth? You know what I mean? Or a way. Like, no, he is the truth. Or a word. Yep. Right. He is the word who became flesh. He is life itself. Hmm. Life apart from him is a myth. It's you and me running around pretending like we're something that we're not. It's to live an illusion which is why we actually try to really help people embrace the meaning of the word disillusion. To be disillusioned is to move away from the illusion that there was this life that you had something to do with, that you have some control over, mm-hmm. and instead embrace the reality that, no, he was always your life. That through his death, right, came your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and through his resurrection came your life. And so it kind of brings me back to what I was saying earlier, which I find myself laughing about yesterday while I was driving in the car. So ultimately, I guess what it comes down to is, is like we're all recovering narcissists who are, <laughs> who are learning to let go and live in the joyous reality that Jesus is our life. We never needed to be anything in it of ourselves to begin with. Or, yeah. right, we're a narcissist who refuse this reality right now and hopefully, right, one day embrace it. Hmm. But... You're right, dude. The word resurrection, man, it's, it's tricky. It's really tricky. tricky. Yeah. And here's the other side of it for me is as someone who's written liturgies and led worship and songs and preached sermons and the whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love those things. I, they have a special place in my heart. They always, they, they have helped me understand things about Jesus. I would have never never seen otherwise but put in the wrong place they they really they get out of hand frankly and mm. and here's what i mean there's this cultural n- impulse that we have in a church or on a sunday spe- specifically on easter to have some sort of a sensational experience to have some sort of 
dare I say, a superstitious encounter. Hmm. And, and we think that if we do it a certain way, it, it's going to catch more people or it's going to catch like wildfire or it's going right. to have some specific effect. And here's what the implication of that is. And this is, I'm getting some of this thought now where I'm heading now from Eugene Peterson. He's got a whole book called Living the Resurrection. Uh, it's not a big book, but it's, it's a powerful little read where he's just helping you see, no, it's the ordinariness of your life where the resurrection has taken root. <laughs> and it had me wondering like, well, if we're pushing this big, um, this big event for Easter, and I think underneath most of us, we're, we're thinking this is like, people are going to come to faith today. Um, this is going to, this is going to move the kingdom forward, or this is going, whatever. And those are things I'm speaking of from experience. <laughs> those have been in my heart and in my mind and on my lips. So mm. don't hear me accusing anybody but myself right now, but I've, I've had friends in the same boat. What if that's not what it's about? What about the simplicity of the sharing of meals and saying, yeah, Christ is risen <laughs> and Christ, the risen Christ is in you. There's no magic. There are no special words to say. It's just, can you believe that's true? <laughs> mm. uh, to me, I'm like, there's, that is encouraging, I guess. And so Russ, the question I have for you that comes out of that I want to turn this conversation more into that ordinariness. Hmm. So it's kind of a two-tiered question. You go with it where you want. Number one, how has the ordinary, like how have you experienced the mystery of resurrection in the ordinariness of your life and your ministry and your family? That's a, you can go wherever you want. That's a huge question. But secondly, how can you encourage people to to have eyes to see it where they are on Thursday at 3 p.m. <laughs> or the Monday after Easter when it's nine o'clock and you're already at work, you know, like Sunday's over, everybody's exhausted. Um, so those are my questions, Russ, for you to just press into for a second. Ooh, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's good. My mind, you know, can immediately jump to the, you know, the beauty of the ordinary man, like waking up like you guys did in a camper, right? Out in the middle of nowhere in Texas on a ranch and just looking out at a field and trees and your, you know, your wife and your four little ones and going like Jesus's death, man, is, is for their death. Mm -hmm. Jesus's resurrection is for my children's resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like me, my children have a spirit of self-reliance that runs in them yep. and it's destructive. And yet somehow in the mercy of God, he hasn't removed what is good. And at the same time has announced that our ability to do what is good, to keep this law is no longer, <laughs> no longer what is needed for our acceptance, mm -hmm. for our life. And so we get to color today on the floor to the glory of Jesus. And we get to eat a simple meal together and just reflect upon the one who made food and made us and made this place that we're sitting in 
and who's present with us in the good times and the bad times. The one who will never leave us. And dude, I ain't gonna lie, man. Like the moments that, especially when your kids get older like mine, I got a little one that I get to rejoice in all these simple little beautiful things with. Um, my little dude swam in the pool for 20 hours, man, over a three-day weekend. We added it up. 20 hours. You just turned five. Loved every minute of it. Filled with this joy and wonder. Pointing at the birds flying over, dude. The rabbit that comes walking up next to us. You know what I'm saying? We're swimming in a pool. The beauty of a box of nerds candy. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, there's just so many simple, beautiful things to me that are, like, true because we are held in the life of Jesus, who is our life. Colossians chapter 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 1 through 5. I mean, I can keep going with this. We've been made one with him, Jesus says. The same way he's one with the father. So I get to look at this little dude who's playing in the pool and go, man, he's already whole. He's already home. He's already forgiven. He's already free because he's already one with Jesus. And that's true of him forever, which makes this moment even more beautiful. Because it's in those moments, dude, that life becomes less about what we achieve which is a myth anyways (laughs) and more about the experiencing of the adventure that's before us which is what life actually is but i can tell you this man it also becomes powerful when you look at your older kids for me you know my, my older ones are 20 and 23 and to know that their that their struggles are not forever to know that their flaws do not keep them from their father right? Their heavenly father or me to know that he who began a good work in him will complete it because he is the resurrection of the dead. To know that while they're out running around and driving up the, you know, up and down the roads, man, and working jobs and right. Tragedies come dude. Although I pray they don't, I get to still live with a peace that man, I'm going to be with this family that I'm hanging out with on Easter forever because right because of him i get to look at older kids man that are struggling with like you know what to do in life and maybe things that they're struggling with personally or flaws or you know what i'm saying myself included and dude there's just something about like looking at the resurrection i'll just say it like this looking at the resurrection And then finding myself looking at the Christian fascination with guilt and being able, instead of crying over this, being able to laugh at it. The Christian fascination with guilt, you know, as Capen said, is a blind alley. (laughs) Hmm. Which is ironic when you think about our fascination with it, because the New Testament isn't even about guilt at all. It's about forgiveness. I mean, what did we celebrate on Easter? We celebrated the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, as John says. We're celebrating the fact that we don't get forgiveness because of what Jesus did. We're already forgiven. So our lives are learning to cheer up and live in the reality of the forgiveness we already have. True of me, true of my children, true in the moments of driving a truck, delivering packages, making a milkshake at McDonald's filling up a car with gas, eating a meal with friends, 
struggling in a hospital bed next to someone you care about. Doesn't matter, man. All these things that we think are who we are and what will bound us, you know what I mean? To, to, to this life or that are just not true. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And according to Colossians 1, that's everybody. Doesn't say that he reconciled some things. It said he reconciled everything on earth and on heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross, dude. So I'll give you a quick little for instance. I get to look at my kids and smile and say, when I was your age, I thought repentance was about getting it together and making it happen and living in a constant state of navel gazing and worry about where I stood and how well my repentance was being carried out and if it was true or not. And will God still love me and accept me? Will he move in my life? Will he smite me with an 18-wheeler coming down the wrong road tomorrow? And instead, I get to look at my kids and go, no. No, guys, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, repentance, repentance is a celebration where you changed your mind about the lie that you bought, the lies that I've bought, and begin to embrace the reality that is in Jesus. Hmm. It's a celebration, dude. It's not a bargaining session. You're one with Jesus, and so am I. You wear a cloak of righteousness, just like I do. You're wearing a straight jacket of forgiveness that you can't get out of. Hmm. And it's all because of him. So what does that mean? That means I get to cut up a plate of good meats and cheeses and strawberries and almonds and spiced honey and just eat it with my kids like I did this past Sunday for no other reason than it was just freaking good. <laughs> I can keep going. I'm just, man, when you really stop and think about the reality that is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus for all people, dude. There's nothing like it. I think no. another no. when another thing when Capen's talking about resurrection, he says, um, "Grace aims at the celebration of life," and mm. I love that—the <laughs> yep. celebration of life, which I know isn't possible for everybody all the time. That's, and I, Capen knows that. And Jesus knows that, like, we don't always feel like we have circumstantial reasons to celebrate life. Um, no, but what we have in Jesus is this thing that theologians for centuries have called the great exchange, right? Yep. Where God becomes what we are so that we can become what he is. And yep. it's a, th that's speaking to that union you're talking about, us becoming one with this, this God whose intention from eternity past. Let's get the record straight. The, this, none of, none of ex the human experience was a blip. None of it was an yep. accident or a like, well, now we have to go to plan B. God has always, always planned on fully including and incorporating us into his life. And so he became poor so that we may become rich. He yeah. became human so that we may experience the life, the very life of God. 
And man, that does actually free us up to say, I can celebrate that truth right now because it's true. I can enjoy that that is true. It means that I'm not (laughs) fretting, trying to figure out how to get into that group of people that are called the children of God. Think about how stupid that is logically anyways. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. fathers have children that fathers and mothers have children. Like you, you don't get to, you don't become your father's child by anything you've ever done. (laughs) It's so simple. It's so simple. Exactly. It's it's one of the biggest themes of how to view God throughout the scripture. Yeah. Is God as father and mother, God as parent, God as the one from whom all things flow, right? And so, man, that takes all of that baggage and says, you don't, you don't need any of that. And even yeah. you try as you might, like you will never be able to free yourself by trying to free yourself. It, it just doesn't work. Because the freedom is already there, which means you're living inside of an illusion that you're not free. Yeah. Man. <laughs> it's, and I think it's, it's, it's so true and so simple and so beautiful and so life-giving and so freeing. And I guess it's just, there's always like, there's the, the seeing it, you know what I mean? And like embracing it and learning to celebrate it in all the simple everyday, even the mundane things, which I think is the adventure that Jesus actually brought us into mm-hmm. the adventure of, of, of being able to share this, this news with others and, and see light bulbs come on and walk with people who are struggling and walk with people who are celebrating and walk with, you know, whatever it may be. But there's like, there's this, this that spirit of self-reliance, man. It's, it's so real and so unnerving. And it, I find myself hearing that and going, well, man, if it's so good and so true and so freeing, what keeps us from just really embracing the freedom, man, and just letting go and living in it? Like what's, what's, what's the, what's the roadblock man to the grace (laughs) that is, that always was, that always will be. Like, what is it in us, man, that goes to like the Sermon on the Mount and reads it as like, this is a blueprint for how to live your life and bring the kingdom and build a better world. When the whole thing is Jesus creating a crisis of capacity in us. And every turn, he shows us what good and right and holy looks like. But then graciously shows us that this isn't us. How do we miss that the Sermon on the Mount ends with Jesus saying, therefore, in conclusion, be perfect as I am perfect. And we'll just, we'll grab onto that, you know what I mean? And then completely forget about everything that we've been talking about so far. Instead of seeing that and going, I can't. And him going precisely. That's why I'm here to save you, not guide you. I'm here to resurrect you, not improve you. Improvable is not an option when resurrection is your need. Yep. Right? Yep. That's why Easter is not a religious holiday. Easter is the celebration of the day God ended religion once and for all. Mm -hmm. 
and brought all of us into his very life, his plan from day one. Yeah. The journey in front of us is learning to trust and live into the reality that we are already loved, right? Or ignoring it. But that's really the only two options that are before us. Well, think about I just find this. that. You, Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Where you're headed right there, it's like, for me, it's firing on something. What that means then is no one has to set themselves apart from anybody else. It means- Bingo you don't have to look, appear, become, or actually be any better than anybody else. There, the comparison thing, I bring it up and it sounds so cliche, but it's, it's in my blood. So yeah. I kind of can't leave it out. I don't think anyone is immune from this way of going about life as if I really need to be enough of this or that, or I need to improve on this or that, or, or if I really am a child of God, then I will fill in the blank, whatever those things are. None of those are actually true. If you are mm -hmm. a child of God, you are a child of God. And it, you don't, what it means that you don't have to set yourself apart from anyone else. I use those words specifically because holiness in the, in the scripture is often translated from the Greek as like to be set apart, right? To be set apart, to be different, to be mm -hmm. specifically placed <laughs> and set up somewhere by God himself. You don't do that. You're not the one who does the setting apart. So the person in you that you are and the person next to you, you are now free to completely view that person as a child of God, there are no hoops for them to jump through. There are no hoops for you to jump through. The fact that circumstantially their life may look different than yours doesn't change anything about the fact that they and you are both children of God, which means you are both inherently, eternally worth the dignity and the respect of God himself. Christ is in you. He is in mm -hmm. every person. So we are now free to say, I actually don't have to get you to do anything in order to view you as the child of God. I yeah. hope you'll believe it. And I hope you'll be freed by it and experience it. But it's yeah. already true. I don't have to convert something in you in order for that to become true. And that Man, when I look at the person sitting across the table from me or sitting next to me in traffic or whatever person it is, that means mm -hmm. there is no one in all the world and in all of history or time to come who I've got an edge on or I need to have an edge on or has an edge on me. Ever. All the children of God, period. Yep. And I yep. think that's, that's the reality the resurrection is helping me come to grips with. Yeah, I was in a recent conversation at a local bar, man, and that literally was a topic of conversation. And somebody was like, dude, I guess, I guess ultimately, man, what I'm just looking for in life is just solidarity. And I said, well, dude, let me tell you about the joyous Savior who's already brought that about. You want solidarity with the rest of the world? You already have it because <laughs> we're all broken. And we're all held by the boundless love of the very God who made us, loved us, died for us, 
and rose to new life, bringing us with him into that eternal Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, Spirit. There are those who believe this and therefore have awakened and begin to enjoy and walk in it. And there are those, right, who right now do not believe it. And that's not a good thing. And right, when life comes to an end, that can be a real bad thing. But the journey, man, in front of them is to simply see the reality that already is. The solidarity we already have. It's not to convert something new that's in us, right? To, to become something better or something else. That's not the journey, man. And it was such a, just a, like a life-giving conversation. And I noticed that in some of the people that were in that conversation and some of the people that I think you've encountered and I have, it's that set apart thing. It's that, that thing in us that still feels like we need to become a people who are set apart by doing A, B, C to be loved, to be right, to be whole, to be one with God. That seems to war with what the reality that Jesus actually paints for us. I've noticed that. And all I can point to, man, is like, there's definitely something in us that's definitely afraid of being branded as losers, <laughs> right? Which we forget that that's who, like, Jesus came for, for everyone because everyone's broken. You know, like God uses broken people because broken people is all there are to use. It's all there is. It's all there is. So like, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like he's not saying that go do broken things that are going to hurt you and hurt others. He's not saying that. Um, he's just saying that, that that brokenness has no, has, does not create a barrier between his love and acceptance of us. Dude, that's life-changing, man, when you start to see that. But again, yeah, this like thing is. in me that's like, I can't admit that. I don't want to admit that. You know, you know, being a loser is the worst of playground insults, right? I'm not going to admit what Ephesians 2.1 says, that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. But I'm like, man, if you really want freedom, I'm telling you right now, if you really want freedom from this endless this endless to-do list, this endless desire to be something more and better. It's not going anywhere, whether it's from God or peers or whatever you've made up in your mind. Dude, the only freedom from that, man, is coming from somewhere else. The only rest that this you will ever know, that I will ever know, is going to come from someone else delivering that to us. But I find that sometimes people wrestle with this because they almost feel like you're pitting grace against morality or you're you're pitting grace against what is true and good and we should be walking in you're pitting grace against being set apart by a, a person who does love god you know right who does believe in him and i found this just this little bit of writing do from in between noon and three where it says that we're constantly talking as if grace were addressed to a subject called morality. And that's bound, and I love this, that's bound <laughs> to create mischief because morality by its very nature must be concerned with norms, with standards, whereas grace by definition is concerned with, are you ready? Persons. It's a refusal to allow the standards to become the basis of their reconciliation or condemnation. What were we talking about earlier? 
Wow. We're talking about the one who's already reconciled all things through his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And therefore is now no condemnation. Right? Yep. He says, thus, the conflict. Morality tells you the standards you need to meet in order to be properly alive. Grace tells you that all you ultimately need in order to be alive forever is to be dead <laughs> in your trespasses and sins. The hour is coming and now is Jesus said, when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that shall live, which is either the world's lowest standard or no standard at all. (laughs) (laughs) But notice what Jesus said. He says, the hour is coming and now, right now is when the dead people who have walked in the spirit of self-reliance and all the destruction that has come from it, every person since Adam and Eve. He says, the hour now is when they, you, me, all of us shall hear the voice of the son of God. Mm. And they that hear shall, ready, live. (laughs) So grace and morality, therefore, are another case of apples and oranges. Morality deals with virtue and vice, with what is strengthening or weakening for human nature considered as an opera, I love this, operational possibility. Grace, however, deals with sin, capital S, sin, with a condition in which human nature, that's what he's referring to as sin, has ceased to be an operational possibility, and it has ended up a lost cause. I love that, dude. I'm going to read it again. Grace deals with the nature of sin, with a condition in which human nature has ceased to be an operational possibility and has ended up a lost cause. It is to say once more about the raising of the dead that we celebrated on Easter. In the Bible, the opposite of sin with a capital S is not virtue. It's faith. Yep. Romans 14, 23. There it is. The opposite of our nature of our spirit of self-reliance, of the myth, the lie of independence that we bought, our lust for control, our desire to be God. The Bible, in the Bible, the opposite of that is not virtue. It is faith, trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for our own that brought us into the life of the Trinity that's always Mm -hmm. been. Faith in a God who draws all to himself in his resurrection. That's what we're celebrating. Not just this past Sunday and not just the next 40 days, but hopefully in all the ins and outs and all the mundane things that we do every day as people who've come alive and the God who's met us where we are. And dude, when I think about that, man, I just, I found like a renewed sense of joy in it, man. And maybe that's some of that's always been there. I'm the guy whose favorite song is Amazing Grace. And um, something that a lot of people don't know about me, dude, is I can't sing it. I can barely even talk about it right now. I <laughs> see here, here it goes. Yep. I've literally. Damn. And uh, I think coming up this fall will be 25 years 
and I've been a believer, I've never been able to sing Amazing Grace. I can get through like the first line. That's it. So, hmm. yeah, man, that's what I'm celebrating. It's a God who, he didn't remove the law. He didn't remove what is good and what is right. He doesn't take morality and throw it out the wind as if, as if like somehow stealing from my neighbor or, or hurting people is going to be, you know, be good. That's going to lead to harmony because it's not, it never will. So he's like, look, I'm not removing the law. Jesus said, not one dot of it shall be removed. Not one dot. Grace is not a, a, a removal of the law. Grace is not a temporary suspension of it so that maybe we've got a minute to get it together. Grace is God looking at the law, letting it stand, and then looking at us and saying, your ability to keep this has nothing to do with your acceptance. That thing stands to show you what harmony looks like. My son's death and resurrection is what was done so that you could see what holiness looks like and could be brought into that holiness, cloaked with that holiness so that you can learn to live loved with a straight jacket of forgiveness on that is never, ever, ever going to turn loose. Dude, I feel like it's grabbing onto that where you start to learn what it means to live. That's the lark of grace. <laughs> That's the hilarious, unexplainable story yep. of the playfulness of the life of faith. And to, <laughs> I'm really grateful that you, you shared all that rest because I think we need to hear over and over again that, A, that this is true. Um, and that this isn't some like auxiliary or, or, or way out there interpretation of the scriptures. Like, no, this, this is the whole point, right? This is what the whole thing is about. This is the, <laughs> yeah, this is where it's all been going and leading. Yeah. And I think what I really want anyone who hears this podcast episode to hear Russ, you said it earlier. I don't know if I'll get it verbatim, but you said you're talking about your kids. And I think specifically your older kids, you said none of your flaws will keep you from your father. None. 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 And I mean, we're bolding and underlining and circling that zero. Okay none of your flaws will keep you from your father. And here's what that means. And you need to let this sink in. And we've talked about it many, many times and we'll never stop. God is not disappointed in you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to hear that. God is not disappointed in you. In fact, he never has been. Ever. God is not disappointed in you and he never has been. That means that you already belong and you, you are not called to figure out how to hold on to Jesus tight enough. Yep. It means that Jesus is never going to let go of you. Yep. Yep. And like I was just reading, man, that doesn't mean that flaws are good. Right. 
I, w- I know we hear it all the time. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, nobody is. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm not either. Uh, but where did we get the idea that all of a sudden that was okay? <laughs> Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, be perfect because I'm perfect. He also wasn't kidding when he went on and did all that was needed for us to dwell in him so that we could be. Yeah. So, yeah, those flaws will never keep you from your father, ever. And the reason why I know that is because according to what Jesus has said, we've been made one with him as he is one with the father. So unless Jesus can somehow be separated from the father, right? Then I'm pretty damn sure you and I can't. And that is 100% good news about him and what he's like and what he's done and what he's doing, which is the opposite of religion. That's right. Amen to that, ma'am. Amen. And amen to this conversation and amen to this ongoing work of Jesus in and through us. Hmm. So I hope that this is uh, as encouraging to you who are listening to it as it is to us who are sharing it. And just know that this podcast, along with all the others that we've put out and all the videos and all the articles and all the traveling and all the training and all the writing and all the helping people grab onto this, who are living into this in their neighborhoods and their workplaces, who are helping other people come to life in this is 100% made possible by listeners like you mm-hmm. who are supporting us. Some from the $5 range a month, <laughs> right? All the way up to as high as you want to count. Well, not as high as you want to count, but you know, <laughs> but a, a pretty generous gift. We'll say that. We'll take it. Yeah. But all of it's made possible by you. And we thank you for that. And if you've been blessed by this and you found freedom in this conversation and you haven't yet been able to jump in to to the to the to the spreading of this scandalous grace of God to others, we invite you to go to thelarksite.com, click on donate and uh, and join in with a host of others. We're getting this good news out to a world drowning, drowning in the endless project itself. So to that. I say cheers to you, bro. Cheers to those of you who are listening. And until next time.